0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's your girl, Anike Ade. Welcome to the Knowing God podcast, hosted by the one and only Holy Spirit. That's right. I am just the messenger. I am just the vessel through which the Holy Spirit makes his debut. So with that being said, let us open up with a prayer. Heavenly Father, you are worthy to be praised. Thank you Abba for this opportunity once again on another blessed Wednesday to just come before you humbly to sit down and dig into your word and just hear more of you and I just ask oh God that as we embark on this journey of exodus that the things that you want us to know the things that you want us to understand May we apply it into our daily lives, oh God. And we just ask Heavenly Father that you continue to equip us and fill us with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And that the things that we learn when people come in contact with us, they will surely have an encounter with you, oh God. May your light continue to shine in us. And I just pray, Lord God, that your word will touch the hearts of those that are listening and encourage them to dig into the word as well and develop a deeper, meaningful relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so welcome back. Thank you all so much for, you know, just supporting me and taking the time to listen to this podcast. I truly, truly appreciate it. And I do pray that God blesses you for just, uh, you know, taking that time out to want to give him a piece of your time. You know, you didn't say you were too busy for the lord so with that i'm very very grateful thank you so much we are now going into chapters 24 and 25 yes we are we're getting there guys we are getting there i'm so grateful and so thankful we did chapters uh, 22 and 23 last week and we were continuing with the laws we talked about moral and ceremonial principles responsibility for one's property if stolen or or you know if the person is found stealing, that kind of thing. We also talked about the angel and their promises as well. Um, we talked about miscarriages and not just barrenness and miscarriages in terms of babies, but also in just anything in life. God can bless us with something and we could lose it or we could be financially barren, you know, mentally barren, physically barren, spiritually barren. And so in all these areas, obviously the Bible has more of a spiritual connotation to it than it does the law, right? Because we're dealing with a holy God. Uh, So if you have not listened to the previous episodes, please make sure you go back and listen so that you can catch up and be in the know for today's episode and beyond. So with that being said, let's begin. I am going into chapters 24 right now, and it is titled, Israel affirms the covenant. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the Israel sorry of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord and Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people and he said all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. So I just read from verses one to eight. Let's take a moment to just kind of, you know, evaluate what we just read and, and talk about it a bit. Obviously, for many of us who are possibly listening, we're probably Christians for the most part, and I'm sure that everyone. Jesus is very popular, whether people like him or not, and so I'm sure you're aware of who Jesus Christ is and his purpose for being sent into this world in human form, right? Because he came to he came as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins, for our iniquities. You know, we're very filthy, and so his blood basically washed away our sins, gave us a clean slate. A clean slate. So far through faith, by faith, walking in faith, that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and understand and believe that he is the son of God who died for our sins, right? And so that's just a synopsis of our Lord Jesus Christ, our true Savior. So anyway, verses one to eight is talking about the covenant that was made between God and his people, aka the Israelites. And as you heard, and from what I read, israelites were in agreement with god's words right they're like yeah we're gonna obey and so moses you know to seal this obedience sprinkles the blood you know the blood of the lamb this 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 these were the sacrifices that were used at the time before jesus came right so we no longer have to do all these blood sacrifices because god sent his only son in the second person right god the son came and died for us in physical form and so we don't have to do those things anymore. But that's what was done then in order to be heard by God, in order for God to continue his uh, journey with the Israelites. And so we're just reminded that God spoke like, you know, in Exodus 20, and then 23, you know, to Moses alone. And um, the others were to come up in the mountain, but they were to just keep their distance. Moses was the only one who was allowed special access to God. And so God spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to the nation. And when people heard the law of God, they responded with complete agreement, right? Uh, and then they verbally agreed to obey the Lord, as I had said earlier. And, um, you know, perhaps Israel, you know, was guilty, you know, and of their tremendous overconfidence, right? Um, the way they seem to easily say to God, oh, we will keep your law. <laughs> seemed to lack appreciation, though, for how complete and deeply comprehensive God's law is. But, you know... A nation that had been terrified by God's awesome presence at the Mount Sinai. If you guys remember when they were like, oh, no, we don't want to see God. His presence was just too mighty and too great. Right. Um, these people were in no, in no state of mind to do anything but agree with God, obviously, because they had experienced God's presence. And so, you know, this is what we kind of gather for the most part uh, in terms of the nation confirming their solemn covenant with God. And so now we go to. Uh, verses 9 on to the end, which is verses 9 to 18. And this subtitle is On the Mountain with God. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So again, the Lord is uh, sending for Moses to come up, only Moses, obviously, uh, who happens to be lucky and the one that God is using to speak to the people. Moses became sort of the intermediary Um, by way of angels from God. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. How great is the Lord. Verse 16, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Ah, oh, almighty. Verse 18, which is the last verse. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Hmm. So for six days, the clouds had covered the mountains, and in all its glory, the children of Israel get to see this. They get to experience this glory of God, and the, you know the description of how mighty it was. You know, um, it's really difficult to say exactly what they saw, but I'm sure you know what they saw under His feet, as it suggests that um, um, at the most they saw the footstool of God, most likely they saw some aspect of a heavenly vision of God, you know, kind of like in Isaiah six. I don't know if most of you have read Isaiah, but it's really difficult to say what people saw. However, the description is always so glorious, you know, it just, it just, and when we hear the word glorious, we think of something so grand, right? So mysterious, so magnificent. Um, But God allowed the elders of Israel to see such a spectacular vision um, to impress on them the reality of his presence. Right. And after this experience, they would be more likely to trust God whenever he would speak through Moses. So it's like God knows what he's doing. I'm going to let you experience my glory, even from afar. You can't come to where I am. It's holy ground. You are not you know, pure enough or holy enough to come here um, because Moses has been made that way, obviously, in order to use him to reach out to the Israelites. And so they got an opportunity to experience God's presence and God wanted them to eat and drink in his presence because he wanted to communicate a sense of fellowship with these leaders of Israel. And that sense of fellowship continued even through his son, Jesus Christ, when he was having the communion, with the disciples, um, and you know, what, AKA the last supper and by the grace of God, we're definitely going to get to that. Uh, and so we now talk about Moses going up to the mountain to meet God. And he was going up there to receive the tablets of the 10 commandments, but obviously going up there would require Moses to have to be in God's presence for quite some time. So God, you know, Moses going up there for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know. Was he fasting was he um, in the spirit, like in a spiritual trance where the Lord was transforming him and, and uh, you know, putting all these words in him so that he would remember the entire thing and be able to come back out and, and reiterate what was being told? You know, we don't know. But he did take Joshua with him. I thought it was just him that was going to go up, but he took Joshua with him. And this same Joshua became the great leader God used to bring Israel to the promised land eventually right? But for for the most part, he started as Moses's assistant. Remember, he first helped him um, during battle. That was back in Exodus 17. So if you haven't listened to those um, episodes, please go back and listen to episode, um, uh, I think it's episode eight or nine. Uh, That was with maybe eight, seven or eight. And that was with chapter 17. Definitely go back and listen to that um, Joshua was always accompanying Moses, and he accompanied Moses for, si- for um, about six days, but he waited in a distance, right, because it was just a solemn reminder of God's unapproachableness. They cannot approach um, God. But when Moses was called higher to a personal and private interview with God, it lasted about nearly six weeks, right? Um, and so these are things that you will read. Like this was in um, Deuteronomy 9, verse 9, um, when this happened as well. But anyway, Anywho, let's just get back to it. So Moses ends up in verse 18 in the midst of the clouds in the mountains where he remained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, we're not quite sure what it is. But uh, it wasn't it it was not so much of a welcoming place. Obviously, it seemed like it might have been a harsh and dangerous environment because obviously God is saying to everyone, stay away, but tells Moses that he should come closer. So, again, that definitely proves God's magnificence, God's glory. There was just something of the glory of God in it. Uh, And these images of the cloud and the smoke and the fire, they're all biblical images of God's revealed glory, right? Because nobody really ever knows what they're seeing. But those are the descriptions that are always used to describe God's presence. Um, And they're connected to his cloud of Shekinah glory, right? It's a different kind of glory. It's a special glory. And they call it Shekinah glory. Um, And that's the same way it was with Jesus's presence among men. So we're now going to go into chapter 25, and uh, let's see what Moses did that entire time for 40 days and 40 nights while he was with God, and who knows, what happened as well when the people were left behind. Oh my goodness. So here we go. The subtitle for chapter 25 here, um, starting from verses uh, 1 to 9, is Offerings for the Sanctuary. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And this willingly, giving willingly, giving with um, a happy heart, with joy is throughout the Bible. Like God does not want stingy gifts. (laughs) He's not gonna accept it. Like, don't give me that. I need to know that it comes from the heart. Verse three, and this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram's skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. This is verse 8 of chapter 25. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so that's from verses 1 to 9. And this is where God is asking for the people to prepare a sanctuary, a place where they would go and bring offerings to him and also, you know, seek his face, pray to him, worship him, that kind of thing. Um, But before God told Moses what the offering was for, he told Moses to take an offering. And God wanted Israel to be motivated by a willing heart more than by a specific need. So our giving should not be primarily because of need. We should primarily give because our willing heart compels us to do it, right? We should always have a heart that is willing to give. Not because we want something in return, that's why we're giving, but because we willingly want to give. And knowing that through our giving, God is going to bless us, right? God is a rich God and he can use any method of providing um, his wants. But yet, he usually uses the willing hearts of his people as the way to support his work, because then that would definitely, and I'm sorry, guys, most of what I'm saying is from the study guide of um, David Guzik, just so that we can get a better understanding of what is being read. And I feel like most of what I'm saying, they're saying. And so thank God for that. But I just wanted to bring some clarity and make sure that I'm um, quoting as such. But yeah, I totally agree with what is being said here, that God is a rich God and can use any method of providing um, what he wants. Yet he usually uses the willing hearts of his people as a way to support his work. And I believe to just break this down, this is just saying that if you're giving from a willing heart and you don't even think about it after you give, you just go about your business because it's something that you've, you're you always doing and it's something that you want to do from your heart. When God blesses you, when he chooses to bless you, it will come in, so, in, in such an uncommon way in such a divine way. We call it divine favor, uncommon favor, right? It would happen so randomly that you'd be like, what did I do to even deserve this? And you would have no idea, right, that it was because you had this heart of giving. And one particular day you gave and this person prayed for you and blessed you so much that God heard their prayers, hallelujah, and decided, you know what, this person has been praying for this for so long because of this deed, I'm going to grant them their wishes. I'm going to grant them their heart's desires, obviously, according to his will, right? Because God would not give us more than we can bear. And he definitely won't give us something that might cause us to lose our salvation as well, um, even though he usually tests us from time to time. And so when God says from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, God only wanted contributions from those who gave willingly. He is not interested in anyone that feels coerced or manipulated into giving. So we got to be very careful. Um, Just to sidetrack a bit, I think many people heard about Creflo Dollar um, retracting his, uh, I guess, his belief about tithing and things like that. I personally feel that if that's the case, you kind of stolen money here and you need to return it because you have misled God's people for quite a long time. You understand and you need to actually provide scriptures that support how you misled and how you coerced people into giving money especially if it wasn't something where they could give from their heart they just felt like they had to do it not that they willingly wanted to right um and in the new testament second corinthians 9 verse 7 says so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity For God loves a cheerful giver. And I think we're all familiar with this. This is why the Old Testament is not done away with. Because everything that's in the Old Testament is in the New Testament by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who came and saved us. So he didn't come to change the law or do anything. He really came to bring grace to the law. Because if we are just binded or should I say bound by the law, we would just be imprisoned with our sins. Like our sins will be an imprisonment for us. And I don't want to be in jail. I definitely don't want to be the cause of myself being in jail and not even knowing that because of sinful, lustful, you know, desires. No, that's okay. I want to be free. And God gives us that opportunity for free will. And free is what I want. Liberty is what I want. I don't want bondage. And I hope none of us here that are listening wants that as well. All right. So, uh, i love the part where he was talking about the different offerings Um, i believe each of these materials are like symbolic or have some kind of spiritual representation to it um, and to its relevance again i implore you because of time to just take a moment to go into chapter 25 and maybe look up these things for yourself to see what they could possibly mean and stand for i'll go real quickly with what this study bible says here Um, It says that color blue, um, the dye for this color was extracted from a shellfish, seemingly in several different hues. The purple um, is a dye that came from the murex snail. It was a purple red color. Scarlet, the dye for this color came from the dried and powdered eggs and bodies of a particular worm, which attaches itself to the holly plant. And then fine linen, this term translates an Egyptian word the Egyptians knew and undoubtedly taught the Jews how to make fine linen. Goat hair, coverings made from this material were typically black and coarse, similar to our modern felt. Ram skin, this customarily had the wool removed and was like fine leather. Badger skins, this difficult to translate phrase, may also refer to the skins of um, porpoises or manatees, aka the sea cow. And then last but not least, it mentioned acacia, I pronounce it, I think it's acacia, I'm not sure, but acacia wood. And this wood is harder and darker than oak. It is also very durable because wood-eating insects avoid it. And so that's just to kind of give a breakdown. I hope that that helps. So let's go on into verses 10 to pretty much uh, verses 30. This is a pretty lengthy chapter. Um, and the subtitle for this, these uh, next few verses are, is the Ark of the Testimony. And um, here we go. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. And put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark. That the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet you, with you, and I will speak with you from, the, uh, from above the mercy seat, Excuse me, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You shall also make a table of a wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around and you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs the rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table and you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them you shall make its dishes its pans its pitchers and its bowls for pouring you shall make them of pure gold and you shall set set the showbread on the table before me always The gold lampstand, and this is verse 31, pretty much uh, to the end of this chapter. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bows shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And three bows made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself, four bows shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Wow. Very, very, very um, descriptive. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it and its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold wow it shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils and verse 40 which is the last verse and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain and here we end chapters 24 and 25. so we've got a few minutes to kind of dig into what we just read how intricate and how detailed um, was the Lord when it came to creating this ark, this special ark that was later called the Ark of the Covenant, right? And that was the first thing that God told Moses to build. And this was the most important single item associated with the tabernacle, modeled after the throne of God in heaven, um, according to David Guzik. Um, and he said the Ark of Covenant was essentially a box. An ark is a box, not a boat. Um, and it was made of a wood overlaid with gold. So three foot nine inches long, two foot three inches wide and two foot three inches high. So it's nothing. It wasn't a very big um, object that was made. Right. This ark. Uh, and basically, you know, the Bible pretty much just describes what Moses wanted, what he wanted Moses to do and how to build it. And he instructed it carefully. <laughs> Excuse me. And God told Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant to hold the law even before the law was given. But then later God would instruct Israel to put other things in the Ark as well. So as we continue to read, we will see that there were other things that God instructed um, Israel to put in the Ark. Um, he did this The part where he said, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. That mercy seat, actually the lid to the Ark was to be made of pure gold and made with the sculpted figures of cherubim. And I think we have this description of cherubim angels, cherub angels. So please definitely um, Google that, check that out. Or you can go to openbible.org or is it .info, um, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it's pretty good. You can just type in Ark of Covenants or something like that. Like, what is the Ark of Covenant? What does it mean, the Ark of Covenant? And several chapters will come up that can at least try to break down explanations for you. But cherubim symbolized um, God's attendant and messenger spirits, like that of Psalm 104, verse three and four. And so just, I implore you guys to just take the time to definitely read this scripture again for yourself so that you can have a visual of what God did um, here with Moses, what he was telling him to do before he even laid the laws in there. So we're going to be getting into the laws next week by the grace of God. May God keep us until then. If you have any questions, please feel free. Follow me on Instagram at Knowing God Podcast as well as Facebook. You can also go to anchor.fm/slash knowing God. Make sure you send your questions. You can send them in recording form as well. Thank you all so much for listening. May God bless you. And I pray that you are given the opportunity to be able to tune in next week as we go into chapters 26 and 27. God bless you. Bye.